The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. With me today, very special guest, a returning guest, former two-time NXT World Heavyweight Champion. You may know him as Karrion Cross, but he is, of course, Killer Cross. Killer Cross, welcome back to the two-man power trip. How are you doing? Very good. How's everything going? Good, good. I know you've been traveling. So what have you been up to? Uh, wrestling everywhere, all over the place at all times. Uh, <laughs> I just recently got out of High Point, North Carolina for Masters of Bring Entertainment. Uh, Scarlett and I were both there over the weekend and uh, both became champions of that company. And prior to that, we've just been all over the place, um, all over the Indies and um, just staying busy. It's funny. It's like quietly, just absolutely killing it on the indie scenes right now. Not, or not, not so quietly really, but you know, you guys have been doing great, especially you, you've been pretty much uh, unscathed really. I think m maybe Minoru Suzuki, but pretty much unscathed on the indie scene. That's correct. Uh, I believe it's, we're on my second title now. Hoping to get a third one at the showcase, which is um, going to be in September. So looking forward to that one. That's going to be a big tournament. Got to go through a few people to get that one. Nice. Of course, congratulations on uh, getting married to, I believe it was in Alaska, which is pretty, uh, pretty crazy. But that's pretty awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. What was that like? Because, you know, you're wrestling, you're just were, you know, not just released, but you're released. And then all of a sudden you're planning a wedding and then you're going to Alaska. What was that whirlwind like? Um, not to, you know, sound like a diehard romantic, but I feel like most people know when they meet somebody in their life and they know that they're going to wind up spending the rest of their life with them. And that hit me like a bolt of lightning when her and I first met and it actually scared the living shit out of me. It was actually like, it was actually very intimidating sort of feeling because 
where I was at in my life at that time, that was like not anything I was looking for at all. Yep. So, but it, you know, there are certain things in life that you feel and you would be crazy to ignore that, like to live in such a state of cognitive dissonance. Like it might not be something you can explain to someone. You may try to talk to them about it and you'll sound completely out of your mind. But I mean, I had felt like I had met her in another life. I'm just being honest. You know? And I, uh, she had the same feeling and it took us a while to not feel like we were going to sound crazy to each other to start talking about this. And I was like, wow, it's completely mutual. It's reciprocal. And uh, some of the things I was thinking that I wasn't saying she was thinking and she said, and so I was like, all right, this is definitely not someone who's just playing, you know, an echo chamber to what I'm saying to her. She's literally saying things that I've been thinking about saying to her for the last two weeks. So getting married was not so much of a shock and uh, it was actually really fun because it wasn't complicated. It wasn't complicated at all. We got married on a glacier. So yeah. our start, immediate parents came. So Yeah, very, very cool. That's like uh, me and my wife. We were only together for a short amount of time, and we moved in together. And then we were only together for a short amount of time, then we were engaged. And there's only a very short amount of time that we're married. And then a little short amount of time we had a kid. So it's like, it's crazy. When it happens, it's just like, uh, I don't know, the ball going yeah. down the hill, if you will. You know, and it just gets bigger and bigger. Pretty cool, though, for you guys, though, because not a lot of, well, I guess nowadays there is more couples in wrestling, but it's pretty cool that you guys get to travel together, wrestle together. Like you said, the Masters of the Ring, you guys are winning titles together. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's awesome. With you and, and like, as far as, like, where you're at in your career, are you happy, like, right now with, like, where you are traveling the world, wrestling, just on the, on the wrestling side of things? I'm very happy. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to summarize this. Um, so anybody who's listening, whether they're a wrestling fan or a musician or a comedian or just in the entertainment industry can, can really grasp. Uh, I've always wanted to um, contribute things to the wrestling business, to fans that they would enjoy. I mean, that's, you would imagine that's 100% all of us, but some of us don't have, uh, how I would see it now, that liberty to do that. You know, if you sign a contract somewhere, you are now a cog in the machine. And we understand that getting involved with that sort of contract. You know what I mean? You understand. You might sign something and go somewhere and be the next, you know, Bruce the Barber Beefcake. You don't know how that's exactly <laughs> going to pan out. Roll the dice with that. You might be the next disco. You know, I'm sure disco didn't want to be disco when he was getting involved. I'm sure he had a totally different kind of idea. I don't know. I mean, it's just everybody wants to be the world champion who main events WrestleMania when they get into wrestling. No one's, no one initially is looking to shoot any lower than that, right? Uh, but uh, very few people become the man. And very few people stay the man and that is not exactly by their design or their even their own fault but i will tell you when i was on the indies before wwe it was like a, a mini model of what i went through while i was there every single place i've ever gone to um the companies and the writers have always written my character presentation 
almost the exact same way. He comes in because of my repertoire and the way I look and the way I can elicit an emotional response out of people when I'm allowed to, um, I can hook people. I can make people care about what they're watching, what they're seeing and what they're feeling. And that's not just something I believe, that's something I've been told for almost 10 years. And I've always prided myself on perfecting that art because in this day and age in 2022, there are incredible professional wrestlers everywhere. Wrestlers that people don't even know about. They're everywhere. They're on the small shows, killing themselves for 10 bucks or working for free, or they're at GCW on these higher end indies or AAW or wherever, you name it. They're all over the place, but very few people really understand the art beyond the high spots. And I'm not trying to be cryptic or throw shade. I'm just saying there, there is an intangible element to all of this that can't be taught to some people. It's something you have to work on. And I think a lot of it has to do with self-awareness. You have to know who you are as a performer and what people see when they look at you, not what you want them to see. And being back on in the Indies um, has been really meaningful to me because I'm in my own element and I was comfortable before and I'm comfortable again. And it's nice to revisit being able to put my hands on the wheel without any sort of limitations whatsoever and give people what I know they want to see out of me. It's so interesting because you're right. Like you have that look, even if you just look at your YouTube and go through the videos, like, man, this guy, like you, know, you like feel something you're like, Oh, that was really cool. Or like, Oh my God. Like just sometimes like the way you end it and you'll end it on like a cryptic message or something you're like, man, I felt that. Or like, Oh man, that's kind of creepy. But you feel something with you. That is true. Is that something like you always were like you look with the creative side? Was that something that like, came to you easy? Cause it seems like that seems like a no brainer for creative to work with you and just collaborate. Like, all right, let's really, you know, expound upon what you're good at. Well, when I was in NXT, I had a great, I had a great team of people, you know, like I, they would tell me to shut up and just take the credit for myself. But like, there's the yeah. team of people that I had around me, let me be me. And I, I didn't have anything forced upon me. You know, I, when I was hired by WWE, I approached, um, Hunter and the whole creative team basically with like a business plan because look, they've got everything that they need on the show. Every show has everything that they need to be successful. Now it's about making those parts absolutely most efficient for the most amount of eyes that are going to see it. You want to retain that audience, that demographic. So going into a billion dollar company, they already own all the high spots. So what is it exactly that you're going to bring to them? So I was prepared for that for years. I worked on this cross character and its different renditions from Killer to Father Cross to, to Kevin Cross, the way it started initially, and then to Carrion. You know, I explained an entire character analysis to them and how to monetize it because it's, it's a company. They need to make a return. You need to explain to these companies how you're going to be a return as an investment. And I was ready to do that before I even got hired. I wanted to talk to these people. Um, and tell them what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear, and ask them questions so I can learn as well, not come in as a know-it-all. And um, I mean, it's, they just let me do that while I was there. And it worked every time. And it was something that I, it was something I knew I had to do before I even got into wrestling. Because I would be sitting there as a fan, completely removed from the business, just a fan, a guy on the couch, just like everybody else watching. And you would just know, if somebody's saying something that is meaningful, it's sincere, um, 
and then you can tell when someone's saying something that's not resonating you know what i mean it's just there's they're playing wrestler rather than being wrestler or this thing that they're a monologue or whatever it's it's not them you know that there's a there's a sense of self-awareness that's missing here or their production team is having you know they're shoving something down their throat that it shouldn't be on tv so when i got involved from the get-go i knew that i needed to be able to bring something to life in front of people that felt familiar but felt new um i went the uncomfortable route because um I think I just under, I, I, I just understand uncomfortability, um, just how I've grown up, the types of people I've grown up around, um, the environments that I've worked in. Um, I understand um, how a person cultivates fear and what people are really afraid of, not just on the surface, but what's underneath, you know, what people can see and feel on the surface, what's really bothering them. Core phobias that we've had since we were kids um it's almost across the board you know we're all different as individuals but at the end of the day we're all afraid of the same things and i think if you really understand what those things are and you understand how to speak to people between the lines of those things time and death and being in the dark alone isolation away from your parents and you're a kid there's ways to expand on that um and and write from that place um and you know uh, just discussing those subjects and topics with conflict and social satires. And I've just always been, that's where I've always kind of come from with everything. Now, the last time we spoke, obviously it was a few years ago, you had just entered WB. This was kind of before, and, and you had mentioned like, I don't know Triple H. I never spoke to Triple H before. So obviously this is right before you jumped into NXT, which was true. You never spoke to him before, you didn't know. So then you jump into NXT, you're dealing with him. What's it like and, and really who, like, did he initiate contact with you? Did he want to sign you? Did somebody else reach out to you? Was it like a Johnny Ace or Canyon Seaman? Like, how did you actually get in there and why carry it? Well, I've always had a correspondence with WWE since I got started. I was scouted by someone. I'm not even sure if he was a third party scout or he was on payroll. I'm not really sure. He became a personal friend of mine and him and I never talk about wrestling. <laughs> So it's just kind of weird that he scouted me and we never talked about wrestling. Wow. Weird. Um, I, I, yeah, I just kicked it off with him on a personal level and I still talk to this day. I've known him for eight years. He put me in touch uh, with Canyon, who was with the company at the time, Canyon Seaman. And I had done two tryouts, one in my first year. And oddly enough, I don't know if I've ever said this in an interview, it was Bill DeMont's last day of work. He was at the tryout. It was in Columbus, Ohio at the Arnold's. We're doing a tryout publicly where they were trying to just kill us, you know, in front of everyone at the Arnold's to show how tough pro wrestling was. Right. Uh, Corey Graves was hosting it as well. I want, I, I never even talked to him about that. I should have brought that up. Maybe I will sometime, but <laughs> I did a, I did a tryout publicly and, um, uh, William Regal and Canyon Seaman came up to me after the tryout the first time around and they said, you represented yourself and this company. Excellently. We're going to be in touch. Uh, they were like, hey, do you have any skeletons in your closet? Are you really crazy if you really actually kill people because your promos are pretty convincing? And I said, no, everything will check out. I'm good to go. I was like, but don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, um, and then I, I don't know what happened. Um, I know nothing about Bill DeMott's departure. There's a million stories of that. I don't know. Right. But right. That whole tryout got thrown out the window and it could have been for purposes that are 
over my head to understand, you know what I mean, in terms of who's overseeing what and evaluations, I don't know. But he basically just said, hey, um, the only thing we need you to do, Canyon said this to me, he's like, just keep picking up more reps, more experience. I can tell that you're a very self-motivated person that doesn't need somebody behind you to push you. I know you're going to keep doing this. The longer we wait, the more money you're going to make when we finally sign you. He's like, so this isn't no, it's just not right now. And I have no reason to lie to you. It would, it would be, it would work against me to fish you along here. He's like, you've got it. Let's stay in touch. And years went by and a second tryout came around and it was right before season four of Lucha Underground. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm in AAA right now, making a good living. I was bodyguarding at the time. All my finances were on order. I was living in Vegas. And I was like, do I really want to do this tryout? Because if I go to the tryout and I get signed, I'm probably going to have to move. It's going to disrupt the whole course of this. But it's WWE. Like, this is where I would ideally yep. like to go. I have all these other jobs. So I go on and do the tryout. And it was the most stress-free tryout ever because I knew I was going back to a very comfortable life. And I had season four coming up with Lucha. And they told me, you know, the same exact thing that they told me the first time around. They were like, you're just not what we're looking for right now in terms of what's going on in the ring. They're like, we've got, uh, we're looking for a specific type thing. And I didn't take it personally because I was, I was kind of okay with that. Right. And then after season four and fast forward a year or two, maybe Bloodsport, Lucha Underground season four comes out. Um, I worked uh, John Moxley after he got, uh, after he left, his contract was up, right? And John basically told me, he's like, I'm not going to tell you where to sign, but you could go anywhere you want. And, you know, you're going to, you're just going to, you're going to run shit. You're going to take over. And hearing that from him felt very different than hearing that from somebody else. Absolutely. So, he strongly encouraged me when I felt like the time was right to, at the very least, have a conversation with Hunter, in which I did. And then um, he redirected me back towards Canyon, and, and then I went to WWE. And that's that's kind of how that happened. And as for the name Carrion, um, depending on what's going on socially or, like, you travel to other countries and stuff like that, the word killer might be too harsh for the social environment or setting of what's going on. Um, you know, let's say we were to go to the Middle East or England or something, and let's say something catastrophic happened socially, they might not want to see the word killer on the screen. You know what I mean? That was a concern that the company had. They were like, Hey, we're not going to tell you to change it, but we may run into issues where it's like, we might not even be able to say your first name or like shareholders might want you to drop it. They just talked about the potential issues that could come up if you run with killer. Like, do you need to be married to it? And I was like, no, because it's it's not the name. It's the energy that I put out with the character. I can still make people feel whether I have this name or not. And um, I've always been a very big fan of Greek mythology and um, old history and stuff like that. and Some Latin mythology. And there were these two characters I was reading about around that time. Um, one of them was Chiron, which is a tattoo. Actually, I wound up getting the figure Chiron tattooed on my back. It was the centaur. It's the son of Kronos, the god of time. Chiron's an interesting figure. I won't go too much into it. If people are interested, they could look it up online. But um, he was uh, he was uh, a healer, and he was also a soldier. And he trained Achilles, as the mythology states. 
he would teach medicine and self-healing and combat to human beings. There's a constellation of them up in the sky. And then there was another character as well. I think it was on the Latin side. Uh, Quran. Almost spelled the same way. Sometimes mythologies borrow things from each other. And I thought there were some right. interesting similarities. Quran was the ferryman who would carry the people from the land of the living to the land of the dead with the coins in their eyes on the, on the river sticks. It's the river of death or something like that. So I was reading about those two parallels back to back at the time and carrying dead flesh, you know, and pertaining to birds and stuff like that. And I just thought carrying cross had a nice ring to it. It was original. It's not a name that you're ever going to hear again. And I thought I could probably create something really cool from there. Just something in the middle, you know, we borrow words from different languages and they change when they go to English all the time, you know, but it happens a lot with French and English as well. So. One thing that's big in WB, of course, in NXT, same thing is like presentation of the guy to me anyway, of course, that, that's like an old school thing. Anyways, like the presentation, the presentation, I mean, being like a WWF guy from 1985 on, it's just like building your head. Like you see Hogan, awesome presentation, awesome look, awesome theme. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Is that in your head? Like, okay, I got the look, obviously check. Okay. Presentation check. Okay. I need a good theme song. Like, is that in your head too? Like I got to make sure I'm hitting on all cylinders and all points because that's the WB land or the NXT land where everything is presentation, look, charisma, like, et cetera, without just before getting in the ring, really. Completely. And I just thought to myself, here's an opportunity to work for a billion dollar company and they're going to produce you in such a way where you'll never be produced like this ever again. Yeah. They have all the bells and whistles and everything. And this is supposed to be the land of larger than life. Um, I don't want to come in there and just be another guy standing in line at Dunkin' Donuts that fans look at and go, I wonder if I could really beat the shit out of him. You know what yeah. I mean? I just, I, I didn't want to, I wanted to create something that you couldn't see anywhere else. You were only going to be able to come to a WWE show to see this, this character and Scarlet as well. So that, that was where I was going with that. And I, I really tried to hit that home in my first initial conversations with Hunter. And I felt like, he got it, you know, and I had to learn their language before I got there. So I knew exactly, you know, what, it, what they like to, what they like to create. If it's, if it's within the person to bring that out of them, you know? So I talked to them about their own playbook, you know? Yeah. Did you like the theme music? To me, like your presentation NXT, obviously we can get a WWE in, in a little bit, but the presentation there was great because you got Scarlet. You got the, uh, the awesome entrance. You got the theme song. I mean, everything was like on point. Like, um, you know, Triple H or everyone say the production team, like they nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that was, we loved all of it. It was incredible. It was an incredible experience. When they put that together, how much influence are you on doing all of that? I was involved with all of it. Yeah. Um, the creative team had me involved every step of the way. Um, they would ask me questions. They'd ask me what I wanted to do. Sometimes they'd ask me who I'd prefer to work. Not that I'd be able to pick and choose who I would be working, but they asked me if I had any preferences. And I told them, I want to create the big fight feel every single time I'm on TV. Um, I think I, I have that innate ability to do that. Um, I worked on it on the indies. Um, I had sold out a lot of places um, and, a, and, a, and a lot of different buildings. I had worked with several different people and I knew how to set the table for people to really care about what was going on. Um, mind you, I, I wasn't in the, the same circumstance, time or economy while I was in NXT as, you know, we were on lockdowns and stuff like that. But 
uh, I had like my own blueprint of things that I was positive were going to work because I had done them on a mini model before I got there. So if you take my formula, my mini model, and you plug it into this world stage, 100%, there's going to be a return. People are going to enjoy what they're watching. There's going to be a strong interest. So they had me involved with everything, even the graphics on the t-shirts and stuff like that. So with that, it's pretty cool, like to be that involved. But they—it's almost like they trust you. Like, they like the characters so much, but they trust you, right? I mean, that—that's got to be a part of it. Definitely, yeah. You just have to demonstrate maturity, professionalism, and IQ, and um, just put the business first, you know. And it, that's not always advantageous for everyone, but we know that getting involved with it, you know. You mentioned big fight feel. Are you a big MMA guy? Big boxing guy? Like. Or you like what fight feel like did you get that from like obviously maybe boxing or MMA like where did you get that kind of like sense of like I got to make this more important? Both. Um, I've always grown up watching sports combat. My whole family's been involved with it and watched it from Pride FC to K1. Um, I mean, you name it: Pancrase, HBO Boxing, UFC, all of it. I've grown up watching all of that stuff, and so that energy in the air, you know, um, you just know what it is when it's there. Who's your guy? Who's your guys or whatever, like your favorite fighters? Uh, Alistair Overeem in his prime Ooh, was the one ring, of the best yeah. to ever step in the ring. I'd watch him anywhere. He has a great documentary out just to plug it. It was called The Ream. Yep. It's a black and white film that he kind of self or co-produced with his team. It's great to see everything he did in Japan and K1 and, and Dream. Um, all those companies. Uh, Andy Hu is an old kickboxer from K1. He was a Kyokushin practitioner. I think he was. Uh, I think he was Swiss. But um, yeah, uh, I liked all the old K1 guys and the old school UFC people. Robbie Lawler was another one. Always been a big fan of Brock, even you know, since the beginning. So those guys, they. They had that, you know, naturally. I always loved Bob Sapp, even though I know later on he would take a lot of dives. But I loved it because when he first started, you had a big fight field. He's like, holy shit. Like, he almost beat Big Nog. You're like, holy shit. How the hell the hell did that happen? And then he beat Hoost in, in K1 twice in a row. Like, demolished him. Hoost just might be the greatest of all time. So it's like, holy crap. Like, who is this guy? Obviously, later on, he would do dives and saying that he was protecting himself for, for movies and he didn't want to get hurt and all that other bullshit. But when he first started, he was like, wow, big fight field. MMA, kickboxing, whatever he did, he always had that feel. But it's like that size, that charisma, and that voice. You know what I mean? Kind of like it's very similar to you, like the like the menacingness of it. You know what I mean? He sounded like he was he was going to kill somebody. Yeah, I related with that type of energy too. I mean, I was just growing up in a household that was so combat sport like it was like our culture in the house, boxing and wrestling, and just like uh, that was like our life outside the house growing up. So we had. Uh, army and military and my family and these are just like i was just an energy in our house so when i saw it on tv it really spoke to me so hey, you get that feel obviously your style and, and the submissions and in your game obviously is adapted from that too right absolutely so when you're going along obviously you're undefeated for a while you, know, you beat the champions of the world you, you know you're going along you're really leon ruff and those guys i mean you're you're kind of killing everybody does like Triple H or anybody from the creative to tell you, like, we have this plan for you. We kind of want you to be undefeated for a while. Any of that talk or no? 
No, and I never asked. I never asked. My mentality was I got up every single day and I trained my ass off until we got to Wednesday and I showed up to work and whatever they were going to give me, I was going to knock out of the park. And I never asked what we were doing next. I never asked what the long-term plan was. Um, I was just prepared to just rip anything apart they were going to give me, no matter what it was. Was it important for the character to be undefeated, do you think? And, and not really your eyes, but in their eyes, to keep you the momentum going? Or what Like, what do you think on that? Because you're, you're dominant, but undefeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was flattering to get a run like that. Most people, their whole entire careers, never, ever see anything like that. Um, people who do 25, 30 years in this business will never, ever get near anything that the company, you know, the course the company created for me to, to be on. Um, I mean... Was it important for the character? I mean, the character is the character. The character is always going to be how I present it. Um, it definitely helped the equity of the character in the eyes of the audience, that's for sure. But as in for the identity of the character, I feel like there were many layers that people unfortunately didn't get to see unless they had been with me for a long time and seen what I've created. Um, there was so much more that I could have done. Um, so like I said, layers, man, so many different layers to, to show people, um, you know, the, the self-destruction of the character, how the character deals with the demise of his legacy, how he chooses to recover that. Does he lose his identity, uh, not being the undefeated guy? These are all characters within that character that I could have shown people, but in terms of being undefeated, um, I mean, it was awesome, but uh, I don't think it was essential for the character to get over whatsoever at all because I wasn't undefeated before I got the WWE and my merch sales were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was pretty busy. But it's almost like MMA a little bit where like the guy's undefeated or he has an undefeated streak for a while, and then it's almost like once they lose, how do they adapt? Like where do they go from here? Do they go back up and they get a rematch and they start winning again, or do they go back down the hill and just continue to lose or like this is the end of their run kind of thing? So could have been, you're right, like could have been an interesting thing to play off of. Certainly. It could have. You know, it's fun to watch. Um, stories, right? We're, we're trying to tell stories. That being undefeated is not the only story because old, but I'm glad we did. <laughs> right, right. It helps. It, it doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. So when you're going along character-wise in your head, like what are you thinking? Like psychology-wise, like kind of get into your mind a little bit. Like, okay, I'm undefeated. I'm coming out. Like I'm just like wrap, like let us wrap our head around what you're thinking about. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Hold on. technical issue still hear me yep where i was at um mentally in terms of portraying carrying to people when they saw him was carrying was basically under the belief that he was 99 percent indestructible and there was no doubt in his mind that he was going to lose any match He was going out there to take everybody's best shot just so they could see that they gave it their all. And then he was just going to crush the light completely out of their life. And I felt like subconsciously that was kind of where the entire team was at too, without even ever having that conversation with them because they did something very unique um, in terms of 
building this carriage's momentum. You know, we had Scarlet on the outside, but they made it very clear from the very beginning they wanted that relationship to be something special, not a crutch. Um, because of my size versus, you know, most people that are there, you know, it, this is just comes down to physics. It's not a WWE secret model. It's, you know, if two people are on the same equal technical ability, the bigger and stronger person will always win. And sometimes people, you know, even in jujitsu, sometimes people who are far more advanced on the mats, sometimes, um, the bigger guy, more athletic person will win. That's just the way shit works. And so, you know, creating from that place and in that realm, you know, they gave carrying cross all clean kills. There was never any foul play crushed everybody. And I think that would have made it very special. Um, had we put over somebody, you know, a baby face who really needed it completely clean to pass that torch. Like this is the guy him here. Like, you know, I've said it before in prior interviews, like Kyle O'Reilly, if Karen Cross obliterated the entire roster, which he basically did, with the exception of like Loomis or a couple other people, he beat everybody. Um, if Kyle coming out of Undisputed could have got that clean W, that building would have broken half, man. And it would have been such a great um, extension of his story arc, being the guy that breaks out of, you know, Undisputed. He's the breakaway star, generally from a, a narrative standpoint, that is the purpose of how those stables are written, right? You look at evolution or you can go down the, the list yep. of groups. Absolutely. But. Do you think that, okay, you win the title, you beat Keith Lee, like you're dominant, like you said, like you just keep dominating. Does that change you and the character at all that you're now the champion? Like you, you beat everybody to beat, you're the champion. Does that change you? I don't necessarily think it changes the character. It was more or less the, uh, I've never felt like Carrion Cross or, or any rendition of Killer Cross ever really needed a title. He just needed a motive, needed a story. And I think that's a safe, great way to develop a character for people to enjoy. If a character needs a title to become interesting, we have a problem. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. a problem. Or if yeah. a character needs to be undefeated to be interesting, that's a problem. I've always looked at the cross character as he's like a, he's he's like um the last type of person you'd ever want to run into he's missing he's absent in his mind of certain things that a person should have there's no empathy there's no talking somebody's not gonna be able to talk themselves out of a beating that's coming he may select somebody because he thinks they're weak. He may select someone because he thinks they're strong and wants to make an example out of them and wants to break this person just to see what they're going to be like afterwards. Cross, to me, in developing him over the years, has been a roaming bad energy. And it's just the type of thing that no one would ever want to run into. You'd be pleading for your life with this guy in an alleyway, and the only reason he's listening to you is not because he wants to hear out that, you know, you're going to pay him off or you promise you're never going to tell anybody what they saw. He just wants to hear you cry before he's going to break your neck. That is a terrifying figure. This is the stuff of nightmares from film and television and novels and stuff like that. To me, that's always who Cross has been. He has been the black hole that comes around that has everybody's number. And so that is a malleable figure that you can put into any sort of story. 
would you say it's almost like serial killer esque or almost Joker esque? You know, like uh, the the uh, when Batman and, and Alfred are talking about Joker, they're like, "Well, what's his motive?" And then Alfred goes, "Well, some people just want to watch the world burn." Like, is that you? Is that Joker? Or is it almost serial killer esque? I've gotten comparisons to that before, and I've always been I've always been flattered by them. But for me, um, I would use an example of Eddie Edwards. Um, you know, my program with Eddie Edwards was a blast. Um, I got to really steer a lot of that in terms of what Killer Cross's motive would be to target him because initially there wasn't one. And I was like, well, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, this is, this is, shouldn't do this if we don't have an idea. I'm like, well, what's your idea? And I basically said at the time, I looked at Eddie Edwards in his career and Tommy Dreamer had passed on the Singapore cane to him. And so I said, well, you know, he needs this cane. He talks to it. It's kind of like Al Snow talking to Head or Perry Saturn talking to Moppy. You know, there's a little bit of comic relief that mixed with violence. You know, it's almost like a Looney Tunes. It's really violent, but it's really funny. And I thought that was cool, Freddie. So I got with Eddie and I said, hey, listen, this is the direction I'd like to go in narratively. Would you be comfortable if I do that? And he'd like, he said, he's like, I would love if you did that uh, because I have missing pieces of this as well that I'm not getting answers for. So basically what I had alluded to in promos and vignettes was basically saying that Eddie has a dependency on the Singapore cane it's metaphorically his spine and i want to know just because i happen to be a fucked up guy what it would be like if i pulled eddie's spine out if he can stand up without it and that's just like a cruel person that anyone could meet and work in a little bit more of a petty trivial setting you know if there's 10 people working in cubicles at an office this one guy decides to you know, fuck with somebody's phone in the cubicle so he can't take phone calls all day and he just wants to watch the guy from the other cubicle and watch him struggle trying to sell whatever over the phone or something and his boss comes in. I mean, there's levels to it, you know what I mean? And yep. you blow that up mythically. So, like, character-wise, though, your world champion, it doesn't mean much because, you, you know, as far as, like, the character per se, but are you happy with the person? Like, holy shit, undefeated NXT champion, just slayed Keith Lee, you know, I'm on to the next one. You know what I mean? Like, are you happy personally you're the NXT champion? Great for the resume. I was really happy about it. Um, not for my own personal reasons, um, but, like, this is not something that they give people frivolously. They don't put, they don't strap people up you know, because they like, them. you know, they like a lot of people around there that don't get shit. And um, a, a lot of people don't understand that as quickly as my rise occurred in WWE, I had put years into my career. So whereas people may have saw that as a pretty quick rise to the top for me, that was many, many years of uh, being broke and lonely and hurt and you're missing important you know events going on in my life to you know improve my craft hoping it was going to pay off one day and then it did so i was very happy that i was like getting that acknowledgement from my peers and my bosses and um you know, i just knew that it was i had felt at the time it was going to be a, a staple of being like this guy's really important to have here so, yeah didn't exactly turn out like that but right um but you know what i mean at the time you know you're, you're just like all right i guess they're really digging what i'm doing because i'm putting everything i've got into this and i hope they're not giving me lip service and I, that place wasn't a lip service type place if you were the shits they were going to tell you like you 
they there's there's no excuses excellence is expected and they don't need to tell you that you need to be perfect you should be going in there and trying to hit home runs every fucking swing i don't know if other people think about it like that but i'm fucking nuts and that's the way i approach things yeah love it with that whole Adam Cole promo thing, and people online were saying, oh, he's shooting out there or whatever. doesn't seem like WB allows that type of shooting. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like WB is the place that allows people to just say whatever they want on the microphone, right? No. Um, a few people have asked me about this over the last few months, and I always laugh because it's partially our fault, the wrestlers, how much people get worked into stuff because it's our job it's our job to make it feel as real yep. as possible i think it was dewey foley who wrote that promo I'm pretty sure it was dewey he wrote it i mean i got the promo the day before 24 hours before sometimes you get them two or three days before sometimes before the day of i remember that promo i got it the night before and i remember reading it and i thought at first i was like I guess the promo is unfinished because sometimes you get unfinished stuff and they just let me say whatever I want to say because they, they trust me, you know? Yep. So when I got to work that day, they were like, Oh yeah, like uh, it's not finished. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. Um, I have some stuff I'd like to say. And it was basically my rebuttal was pretty much the opposite of what he had said to me, which was something of the nature like, well, it's, you need guys like me to make these people believe in you because there's 17 year old kids in the audience, the same size as you that can beat the living shit out of you in a legitimate fight. So <laughs> yeah. well, you say this company makes me feel special. I make these people believe in you because without me, you know, there would, there would be no Adam Cole. You'd be in line at Dunkin' Donuts with everybody else. You know what I mean? And they were like, they're like, you can't say that. And I was like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> Why not? And they're like, well, you know, like, um, he's, you know, been doing favors for people. He put Keith over and then he went under the fatal four and something was wrong with his wrist or something. I don't remember. He had hurt his wrist at the time or something. And then he did the thing with Pat and they were like, we need him in the fatal five way because we're going to lose you soon. And we needed, we'd like you to go over clean on everybody. So you have clean kills on everybody going up. So this promo is really for him to look strong. And I was like, no problem. You know what I mean? I'm killing these guys in the ring. I'm undefeated. I have the belt. Um, it's TV. It's fiction. It's a script. So I was like, let him go for it. When I read it on paper, I was like, has a very ECW feel vibe. You know what I mean? Yep. But the whole time I was thinking to myself, they, they spend so much money on airtime, so much money on airtime, giving it to the cross character with the entrance. They spend time with the lights, rehearsals, the crew. Every week they put that entrance up. And people were really enamored by it. They really enjoyed it. It was something different. And they wrote that promo. I mean, it was meant to feel real, right? But yep. they wrote that promo and it was like, they just shot their whole investment of this entrance in the head with that promo. Like they, they told them to say that. And like, if the roles were reversed and I had the script, I would say it too. You know what I mean? That's what we do. We go to work and we say what's on the paper. But I thought that was a bizarre decision because I was like, I was like, there's a million ways to make him look really strong in this promo, but there's a lot of people that are going to check out of my presentation after he says this, and that's their money. So I was like, you know, I wasn't about to argue, though. I was in a, an excellent position. You know what I mean? It's not the hill to die on. But 
um, it was a it was a weird day. The funniest part about this, though, I have to tell you. So we finished the promo and he goes around the back. He's going back into the PC and I'm going up the stage. And there's a whole quadrant of fans that could see behind the stage. And Cole and I ran into each other at the exact same time where there was supposed to be all this heat. And we just looked around and realized the fans looking at us. We started laughing and covered our heads like this, like, holy shit. We thought the whole thing was blown. And so he like ran back and then like I ran forward. I can't even imagine what people were thinking who watched it because it was like all, it was just an accident. Yeah. But nobody blew it. So, but we had a fucking laugh about that. It was funny. Yeah, definitely not because everyone online was like, oh, he really was shooting on him. That was, he went into business for himself. He, he just ripped on cross. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that doesn't seem like that would be where they would like let the guy just say whatever he wanted per se no, without no. the other person knowing, you know, like I, yeah. In this day, in this day and age, when everyone is so sure about what they're watching, it is very challenging to get people to buy into something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so in a way I was kind of proud of that little piece. You know what I mean? It was written for him, but it's cool to be a part of something like that. You know what I mean? And it's it just is what it is, but I do laugh about it. So from time to time, there's funny aspects of it. So yeah. it's a weird day, but no, so he's a, he's a good dude. I wish we got a singles. I I was asking for singles for months with him, um, but for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Um, and uh, he was a pleasure to work with in the Fatal Five way. I wish I had my singles with Kyle too, but I was happy I got Gargano at least. So, yeah, very very good match. Obviously, smaller guy too. I mean, these are all smaller guys compared to you, but they are good workers. Yeah. Is it easier to work with some guys that are smaller? Just obviously, they're good workers anyway. But is it easier sometimes? Because you know, you get to kind of show more. Um, it's the same to me. I mean, it's all about, it's all about what story we're going to be telling, you know what I mean? The night of, it's always going to be about what sort of story we're going to tell. Um, so regardless, you know what I mean? The better the worker, the better the story, you know what I mean? And that place had the best in the world. So, yeah. So obviously, like they said to you, you're going to win the fatal five way. You're going to have all these good kills, just clean kills, really. And then you're going to be moving on up. So you're moving on up. Like in your head, you're thinking, oh, this is great. Vince loves big guys. I have a great entrance. Um, I'm undefeated here. Triple H loves me. Like, is it a like, positive attitude because you're about to be called up? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, um, I had no inclination to believe whatsoever that anything was going to go off the rails whatsoever. My experience at NXT was incredible. It was awesome. You know, all of the horrible things that you hear about at WWE before you, you know, you go there or like while you're there, I didn't encounter any of that whatsoever at all. It was awesome. I had no reason to believe that anything was going to be, you know, the presentation was going to be amputated or sabotaged, nothing like that. So it was just very weird when it happened, you know, so. Because you're still undefeated, you're still the NXT champion, and they have your debut on Raw. I know you've probably heard this many times, like the Jeff Hardy thing. Two-minute match, you lose, but you're undefeated in NXT. It's almost like, wow, they just shit on everything Triple H did in NXT with, with Cross, and they just shit on Cross. Was that your thought, too? Like, wow, that's like this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't understand the logic behind it um, at all. It just, you get involved with the business and typically business is about generating revenue. You know what I mean? Yep. And optimizing the revenue spent, you know, 
again, not to be redundant, but just getting a return on your investments, you know, business. It didn't seem like this was going to produce anything that was going to provide a strong return. So I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I went out there and I did my absolute best. I did everything and exactly what they asked me to do. And I didn't, you know, drag my feet about it, nothing. I tried to look on the bright side of everything. And again, people have to understand, you know, to reiterate, I had no reason to believe at all that things would have turned out the way they did just from my prior experiences, you know. So the culture that I was in at NXT, I just automatically assumed that's the whole company culture. So I would have no reason to believe otherwise. And maybe I'm maybe I'm naive for that. I don't know. I in general, I tend to mind my own business. I don't try to figure out what people are getting paid. I don't get nosy. I don't gossip. Um, I'm not into people's shit. So and I, I, the reason for that being is it's not my nature and, it, and I like to, I want to keep this fun. I have friends and acquaintances in the business who are involved in everybody's stuff and they're driving themselves off the walls. Like this is supposed to be fun. You know, like at any job, why do you want to hear about all this stuff? But the, the downside to that is sometimes you're not in the know about things that, you know, might be in the works that could hypothetically work against you. I don't know, but I've just always tried to exercise the most integrity I possibly can with my work um, and uh, approach things uh, from that place, you know, and it was weird, man. It was weird. It's still unusual when people ask me about it. It's, it's unusual. It's, it's a weird place to try to talk to people about because it was just, it was as weird as it looked for me. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's fucking weird. To me, like business-wise, okay, like ROI, return on investment. Like, okay, we got this guy. He's undefeated. Uh, he's killing it. He's the NXT champion. We're trying to build that brand, which is also on TV. You know what I mean? And then it all of a sudden, ah, we'll have him lose to to Jeff Hardy in two minutes, and we'll kind of give him a uh, abridged version of, of his cool look. No scarlet. Uh, you know, we'll just make him kind of look a little bit like generic with the theme and, and everything. Like, it just didn't make sense. Like, a it's just weird. I know you've probably heard it before. It's just like stupid almost. Like what like what is Vince doing? Doesn't does Vince even watch NXT? You know what I mean? Like that's just a thought I had. Yeah, it was lost upon everyone. I remember the writers the writers were asking me every week. They were like, So what do you think about doing what you were doing back in NXT with Scarlet? Would you be interested in doing that? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why are you asking me that? Like, we're just wondering why you're not doing it. I'm like, you're fucking wondering why? You're the writer expressed interest on reprising continuity, not even for my own sake, but for the sake of the fans who watch the shows. Continuity is extremely important in wrestling. And I think that's why, in my opinion, there's been a decline in general interest in certain lanes of mainstream appeal in commercialized wrestling because people watching it feel like none of it means anything anymore. And they have the same matches over and over and over again. And uh, there's a lot of people who tune in to watch wrestling. I'm not saying just WWM, but I'm just saying wrestling in general. There's a lot of people who tune in to watch wrestling every week in hopes that they're going to see something really awesome. And they don't. And 
they tune in next week again and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and they don't. And maybe here and there they'll see that thing that they were looking for, but I don't really think, in my opinion, that's how we want to hook people into the programming. Because when I grew up watching wrestling, I was not watching like that. You know what I mean? Everything that I watched, for the most part, was pretty over and pretty fun and interesting to watch. The structure of how segments are laid out and the importance of them and their own gravity and what they mean, it's not the same anymore, you know? So, you know, I don't know what to say beyond that. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, okay, even when you got injured, you came back and you were still dominant and won the title. Because then you'd be like, okay, he's injured. Maybe he's weaker now. He'll lose. No, he's still as dominant. So then you figure, okay, WWE has to keep the momentum going. Did they ever tell you, like, why they didn't keep the momentum going or why they decided to make changes? Because it seems like even the writers didn't know. (laughs) Well, what I was told was this was going to be an upgraded version (laughs) of what I was previously doing in NXT. upgraded a bigger and better version of what i did and they said that um they wanted to give me new music and they wanted to switch up my entrance a little bit they wanted to incorporate more of my original logo which the logo which was the x it was a red x they wanted to start doing some sort of form of an x they talked about putting a giant x in the building on fire um, and they talked about going on, going in a direction a little bit more of like an evil gladiator. Um, and then we got this mock-up of this outfit. And it looked cheap and horrendous. And I said, surely this is just a concept. This is not what they're actually going to try to manufacture or engineer. Because this is a billion-dollar company and this looks like trash. Right. Sure enough, the day comes we get the costume and I was like, boy, I don't know about this. No new music. Scarlet's still singing the song. No new entrance, no f- X on fire. None of that. And they just rushed the character out there with no explanation of what was going on. You know, and a lot of people, they try to pinpoint what it was that was missing or what didn't work and whatnot. At the end of the day, And I say this with all due respect to my wife. The character could have worked on Raw without her. She could have been her own separate star on the same show or another show, women's champion. She could have put her own spin, like make wrestling sexy again uh, with her impact stuff. She could have, she's a very, very creative person. And she was acquiescing to a lot of my ideas to create some sort of parallel simpatico. But she has many layers too. We could have been separate stars on our own. And the gladiator thing could have worked if it made sense for people watching. If there was an explanation why the character was wearing a helmet, wearing suspenders, where she went, and what the character's motives are on the show, it could have worked as silly as the outfit was. And I didn't mind the outfit. I always go on record to say that. I felt comfortable in it. But it just didn't make any sense. Like, I say this, like, there's no, there was no continuity of what we were creating for people for over a year and a half and then you just do all of these nonsensical experiments on the flagship show with this character i mean it was very obvious to me that whoever was making these decisions was going to absolve themselves of the demise and then i would be fucked i knew that and i had voiced that to 
people that I trusted that were above me and they assured me because they believed it too, that, that was not going to happen, but it did. So. Very strange. Cause around the same time, Triple H starts to lose power. You know, obviously it's the hard issue, but he loses power. He's gone. They change NXT to NXT 2.0. Uh, Braun Breaker literally breaks the the original, you know, the original symbol. Like there was a lot of weird symbolism there. It just seemed like whatever was a part of that NXT with Triple H, like they were trying to break. I don't know if you if you got that sense too, because obviously you played a big part of it being, you know, the undefeated champion there. So did you get that sense too? Like whatever was going on there with NXT, they did try to destroy it. I won't avoid the question, but I will answer it like this. Okay. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of people that were my family while I couldn't see my family during that, that two years still work there. And some of them that are no longer there, who knows, might want to go back. They invest a lot of time, energy, and love into me to help me become the best version of myself while I was there. So I can't tell you for sure that the way it looks is really the way it is, but I can tell you this, sure fucking look that way and i told you at the beginning of this conversation in general i mind my own business you know when shit hits the fan no one ever has to look at me and say did he say something because i literally don't know shit i don't i don't pry into people's business no one ever has to worry about me saying anything because i try to be i try to lighten the mood i try to make things easier for people rather than be you know the guy who's pulling everybody down no one ever has to worry about me um I function best like that. And I think that's the reason why people like having me around. So I, I don't know to this day what happened, but many people have speculated. Many people have asked me and um, it's a lot of coincidences, isn't it? Yep. Funny. After that loss, I, you know, a bunch of friends will like text back and forth or have like group chat. It was almost like um, naked gun when they do that, the head slap and they all do like, so we all had like the same reaction. We're like, what the, f what the yeah. fuck? Like, Duh! So like lose like that to, to Jeff. It's like, okay. Oh, but Jeff has name value, but Jeff wasn't really booked like Jeff Hardy could have been booked. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't really strong going in. So that also like, to me was like that, that bugged me a little bit. Like did that bug you too? It's like, all right, I'm loose to this legendary Jeff Hardy, but he wasn't the legendary Jeff Hardy at this point. He was booked like, yeah, you know, he was on main event or, you know, whatever. He wasn't really book strong at that point. When that happened, uh, obviously it was not anything that I thought was going to be a good idea. Um, I asked people above me privately. I won't drop their names, but yeah, I asked them privately. I said, hey, should I do this? Is there any option not to do this? Are you, are you going to be okay if I do this? And I was advised to do it. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do the best job I possibly can with this. Like I always do. I'm going to be cool with it because at the end of the day, this is a TV show. It's fiction and fiction is an endless universe of endless possibilities. We can write and come up with any sort of insane, crazy idea for the next six weeks to make this loss really mean something. Look, maybe Jeff comes to NXT and he's in the triple threat with me and Joe. Or maybe Jeff costs me the match with Joe and I go after Jeff. And Jeff and I were talking at the time Extreme Rules was coming up. Man, if I could have got a TLC match with Jeff at Extreme Rules, 
we would have rocked the fucking house. He wanted to do yep. it. I wanted to do it. So I just kind of was like, let's see what happens next week. Because I've grown up watching this place and they surprise people and they have the, they have the capacity to really surprise people in a, in an extraordinary way. And it just kind of never really went anywhere. And I was going in there every week with the intention to build something out of that. But that sort of same level of enthusiasm for whatever reason was not reciprocated. So I don't know why, but Jeff and I wanted to make it mean something, you know, him and I really get along in real life. Um, we became friends, exchanged numbers and have been in contact on and off. He was a blast to work with. I worked with him on house shows in the Carolinas. He's a God in the Carolinas. I, I wish people could have got to see the 15 to twenties that we did in the Carolinas and these short little things that on TV, but, I would work Jeff seven days a week anywhere um, for anybody. And we, we could have, again, you know, we could have shown people so much. Do you think at, at all, at all, because Arn Anderson once said to me, like, uh, even with Goldberg, they had him lose to Chad Fortune at a random Saturday night taping. I said, why, why the hell? I, and nobody remembers this or, or like did this. And I go, why the hell did you have Goldberg lose? This is like right before the streak started. I go like, that was like so weird. Why'd you guys do that? Nobody remembers it, of course. And the streak continues on and whatever, but he goes, Oh, we wanted to see how he would handle the loss. Is that, is that true? Is it, does that really work like it? Maybe were they doing that with you almost like, Oh, let's see how he handles the loss. Obviously Goldberg didn't care. He's friends with Chad fortune. Anyway, I'll lose to him. Who gives a shit? Like, I don't think anybody really cares, or maybe I'm wrong, but do you think that's the case? Like, oh, let's see how he handles getting, losing. He hasn't lost yet. Everybody, without saying who, came to me in private, and they were like, you did that like a fucking champ. Like, I would have lost right. my mind. I would have said no. Like, kudos to you. Like, you're, you're representing. You don't even realize it, but you're representing everybody who's underneath you down at NXT. Like you have that belt and the way you carry yourself is, is going to reflect on them. And I was commended for being completely professional and cool about everything. And like I said, never complained, never bitch, never dragged my feet ever. And so everyone else seemed to be, uh, pretty convinced that that was the reason I was put in that position to see how I'd react. And, you know, like I told you, I had concerns about it, but it's fiction. And it's not your show. Yep. And this is what yep. you sign up for. So you understand that. And regardless of whether the match is for me or for somebody else, you always give it 110%. Always. So I was good with it. But yeah, a lot of people thought that. It's funny. It's like, okay, he had a loss. Uh, okay. Like, okay, it's Jeff Hardy who wasn't getting pushed. Lost to losers in less than two minutes. All right, but let's see what happens next week. All right, so you beat Keith Lee. Then you lose to Keith Lee. You know, and then and then you beat Jeff Hardy twice. So it's like, I don't know, it's health or skeletal. It's like, what are they doing with this guy? Like, like what? It, right? It, did you have that feeling too? It's like, what is going on here? Everything the fans were saying uh, was pretty much everything people internally in the company were saying to me. And it's like, wow. you know, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this and I don't know how to answer anyone's questions. Like all of the questions that people said on my fans and all the debates were happening backstage. And I just didn't, I was just like, I don't know what to fucking tell you guys. Like, well, don't you ask? And I'm like, I can ask, but like no one seems, the people I'm asking don't seem to really have answers. So, you know, and what is the purpose of asking to want to know what we're going to do next? They don't even know what we're going to do next. They don't yeah. know. 
or they didn't know for me at least. And I had plenty of ideas, but you know, they, they were disregarded. And it's funny, like, and then after that, then you lose to Samoa Joe at NXT, which basically is, okay, Joe, you're the champ. Go to NXT, do your thing. I'm going to Raw. So, then, you know, obviously you have to lose the title. But even then it was like they still didn't have a plan or didn't execute a plan properly for you. It was unusual. <laughs> and you would seem like, to me anyway, seemed like a Vince guy. Like like when Vince like meets a guy your size, he's probably like, oh, shit, pal. You know, you got some size in you. Like, like that kind of thing is, is in my head because he always throughout the years, like he loves Hogan. He, you know, he, he loves uh, Andre the Giant. Like you know, he likes bigger guys that larger than life. You fit that category, right? Well, uh, I was told since I got started in the wrestling business for people who used to work for him, and then even while I was there, everyone was telling me, oh, Vince is going to love you. You guys are going to get along, your work ethic, yada, yada, the whole look, the idea, whatever. And um, I won't embellish. I didn't have a close relationship with him whatsoever, but all the interactions and encounters I had with him were very pleasant. He's always been joking around with me. There was never any weird, cold thing. Like he was, for me, very easy to talk to. But when he had his mind made up about something with me, there was no changing it. Because I did professionally and politely express concerns about how there was missing continuity of the character. And I did suggest that maybe we change directions to try to salvage it. He was not interested whatsoever in doing that. So I believe it was the second week of the helmet. I had brought it to his attention. And two other people that worked for him that are above me agreed with me. But when we got in there, um, once he made his mind up, no one was really going to tell him otherwise, you know, and how can they, you know what I mean? They can't, we all work for this guy. So yeah, it's like his company. Yeah. Yeah. The helmet though, you, you don't mind it. I'm surprised. I thought you would have said, been like, ah, I hate, it. I know it's gladiator esque, but I figured you would have not liked the helmet. Oh, I knew we needed a better helmet. I didn't mind. I didn't feel uncomfortable wearing it. Right. But I knew it looked like garbage. And more Dumb importantly, stuff, yeah. more importantly, it made no sense. You know what I mean? It made no sense. Imagine one day, uh, you know, in, as the Undertaker, I'm not comparing myself to the Undertaker, but a very unique character presentation was the Undertaker. Imagine he's coming up in the 90s and then all of a sudden he just, Paul Bear doesn't come out with him. The lights are completely <laughs> on and... He doesn't have an urn, and he's, like, missing half his outfit, and he's wearing a hockey mask. People would be like, what the fuck? What's going on? Yep. So just as a comparison, like, if you deduct and add these things with no rhyme or reason, and you don't tell people what's going on, this is, like, people are going to check out. And when these decisions are being made, you know, against your will, you know, I mean, it's, this is, I'm just not surprised where we're at. That's all. I'm just not surprised. So. Were you surprised to get released, you and Scarlett, on, on the same day? Were you shocked about that? Not at all. Um, I knew right when I went up to Raw, we were on course for that. Um, with the, with going under to Jeff, I knew it. Because, as I said, I've grown up watching WWE, and they wrote the playbook on how to create successful characters. And this is not how you create a successful character. It's just not. And the lack of the lack of continuity 
um, was a dead giveaway to me that this was going to become a problem and it could potentially be held against me. Um, so I knew it was coming. And like when you're there, there's only so much you can actually control. There's only so much that is really up to you. And when those things are taken out of your control and you're kind of being driven off of a cliff, that's where you're going. You can hop out of the car early, but you know, now you're out of the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Were you almost happy to get released? Because then you guys can get married. Then you guys can, you know, create your own schedules. Do you know, you know what I mean? You guys can kind of do like, Oh, I'll go to MLW. I'll do new Japan. You know what I mean? Like, are you almost happy with the release? I was really disappointed. Um, I thought her and I both thought we we're going to be lifers there. We loved it. Should have been. You know, we would have preferred to be, if I'm being honest with you. Um, we loved it there. We loved everybody. We got along with everybody. Um, I was disappointed on that level, but at the same time, I was also relieved to be gone under the circumstances that I was performing under because I would compare it to a comedian going on stage in front of a hot crowd. It's the crowd they're working their whole careers to get in front of. And then the promoter basically tells the comedian that he can't do his best of jokes and he's got to wear this and he's got to wear that. And it's like, this is their art. This is their craft. And you're, you're amputating essential parts of what brings them to life through bringing the audience to life. And there was just strange things that were deducted from, they wanted me to change the order of my finishing moves. They wanted me to stop doing the forearm to the back of the head, even though it's not to the back of the head, it's, you know, it's worked, but, there was just weird things. They didn't want me to chew it up. They were suffocating my cutoffs and my hopes. And there was just, there was so, it was so micromanaged and, and suffocated. My work was suffocated. Um, so I was relieved, you know, and, but again, disappointed. I really would have liked that to have worked out. And I was game to do whatever they needed me to do. You know, you can't, you can't be a fatalist with anything in life. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, you got to be willing to adapt. That's life. And I choose to kind of see the glass half full with everything. Uh, we had our dream jobs. We had careers during the worst two years the world has ever seen, probably since World War II. And um, I, I mean, I've even said this before. If, if somebody gave me a crystal ball and they said, hey, Kevin, right before we go to WWE, this is how the whole thing's going to turn out. Watch this. You still want to do it? I would be like, yeah, I would. I would go through all that all over again, knowing that's how it turned out. Because there was more good than bad of the whole thing. Do you still talk to H? Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> It just seems like his role, obviously. I mean, he's still there. He's still AVP. I think he's. I think he's like head of talent scouting. I think it seems like anyway. He's doing that whole uh, NIL stuff. So, all right, interesting. Keep those connections. Always keep. Never burn bridges, right? Right. Sure. <laughs> keep those good connections. Now, I'm curious about one very important guy. Have you been in touch with Jesse the Body lately? Who's that? Who's Jesse the Body Ventura? <laughs> When I was listening uh, to your impersonation, I actually met him. I met him a few times, but last month I uh, he was assigning here in Jersey, and uh, like I helped like bring him in and stuff. But I was talking to him, and I kept thinking of your accent. He's telling me about that show with him and Piper, that tag mm -hmm. team show. 
I think they hear hacks at him. I'm like, you know, we got paid for the whole series. I'm like, really? I said, like, he had like one episode. He's like, we, he goes, it's pay or play. If we don't, uh, you know, if we don't play, you have to pay. So I was, I was thinking about your awesome uh, impersonation of him. That's awesome. He's cool. If I'm listening to anybody talk for a little while, I, it's like a knack I've had since I was a kid. I can kind of imitate them. I've always been a huge fan of his, so he was an easy one to do. What would he say to Arnold on Predator? What would he, what would he say? I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Because I know, like, obviously, when you were on, on Conan, people were like, oh, it's awesome. They got Jesse the body. I was, like, laughing the whole time. I was like, wow, people really thought it was Jesse. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so it's a pretty damn good accent, right? That you're tricking people. It's not bad. As I've been told, it's not bad. Are you, like, are you really a Jesse the body fan? Like, are you, yeah. do you love the body? Oh, yeah, I think he's awesome. I think he's awesome. I've watched anything he's probably ever done or produced. He used to be the voice of wrestling for me with Monsoon when I was little. Yeah. So he's great in the Running Man too. Great. Villain. Oh yeah, he's fucking awesome in the Running Man. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh man, that's so good. Well, Richard Dawson is 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 the real villain, but obviously he's one of the villains in it. But awesome, awesome movie. So you mentioned before Disco. Just want to mention him quickly. Um, love Glenn. Good guy. But why does he get a bad rap? What what's up with that? Why does Glenn get a bad reputation? Listen, Disco gets a bad rap because he loves to annoy people. He loves to bug people. Um, he likes to push people's buttons. It's just part of his sense of humor if you know him. But also if you know him, you know that he just likes to stir shit up. Um he, he's probably one of the best people I've maybe ever met in my life. I was going to say the business, but I'll tell people something about Disco. He saw me wrestle my very first match. I was in a battle royal. It was my first match I ever did. It was my first month I started training. And that's a relatively easier match to try to do when you're just getting your feet wet in the business. There's not a lot to retain. You can kind of just work freely in the ring. I don't want to kill too much of the magic discussing the mechanics of all that. But um, He met me at the back, uh, in the back on stage, and he just told me a few things to clean up. And I asked him where I was from, asked me you know, what my background was, and he was like, what days do you go down to the school? It was Future Stars Wrestling. I was like, I'm there five days a week. They'll, if they'll let me come in on Saturdays, I'll come in by myself and I'll just do ring drills. I was possessed for a long time of training. I, I knew. Anyways, um, he's helped me so much to such a tremendous degree and has never asked me for a single thing in return. Like he's an actual friend. And I know the guy, like the real guy, not the person he's always playing online and on keeping a 100. They're not too far apart, <laughs> but he he's uh, someone who's very self-aware. He knows who he is. He's very secure of himself, and um, I don't think any of these people are bothering him the way he's bothering them, and I wish they would lighten up, but I think it's funnier for Glenn for them to not be in on the joke sometimes. So, To me, the best era of wrestling is 80s, 90s, 
like it's for me as a fan, like those are the best guys. Disco hanging in there with some of the best guys ever. Like he's got one of the greatest work punches I've ever seen. Just awesome. I mean, you could throw him up over with like Lawler and Bob Cook and a, you know, a bunch of the guys that had really, really good work punches, Jeff Jarrett, guys like that. But it's like everybody rips him and tries to say he's not great because of the character and kind of what he says. You know, now what he says. They're like ripping the character. I never, I don't know, to me, I never understood because I'm like, what I remember him is like, he was a great worker, great hand, knew his role, knew his job. Yes, he's playing disco, but he's getting over. He's getting a tremendous amount of heat. So I thought he executed uh, excellently, really. He had a very specific role. Obviously, it wasn't the role of Bill Goldberg or being an undefeated world heavyweight champion. But what a lot of people seem to forget or just cognitively don't even think about um, or subconsciously, you know, this is a work. So you're only as good as somebody is going to make you look, you know what I mean? There's very few people and there's very few styles that you can develop in the ring where you don't really need somebody else's compliance to look good. Um, he made a very lucrative career off of making the audience believe that certain guys were stars and were a lot better than they actually were. And in his defense, and I won't call anybody out because I don't do that. I don't believe in that. Some of the most over, most successful, some of the most wealthiest wrestlers in the world, I've seen them blow more spots than Glenn ever did. And I've seen them hurt more people than Glenn ever did. But no one ever wants to talk about that. Because some people believe in their own shit just a little too much. So I could think of a few guys. I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it, but I could think of a few guys off the top of my head real quick. I could think of it. Yeah. 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 But as we wind it down, we head towards the finisher. What's next for you? What do you got next? I'm going to check over the world. Uh, what's next? I'd like to keep working independently. Um, I've got uh, a film I was supposed to be working on this year that's been delayed till the end of the year just for COVID precautions or something like that from the beginning of the year. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be happening at the end of the year now. I'm reviewing some scripts uh, for some films and for television, and I'm hoping, and I was hoping to do this through WWE at the time, but I'm hoping through television and film that I will be able to acquire some new fans to bring them back to wrestling so they can be like, who's this guy? What is he? Oh, he's a wrestler? Where is he wrestling? You know, create new fans. It's always been a place I've always tried to create from, create new fans. Um, and yeah, I'd just like to keep wrestling. There's, there's a lot of people... There's a lot of people in this business, and I, I think fans can feel the difference between these two people, but there's two kinds of people. There's people who are doing this so they have enough money to retire, and they secretly hate it and they're over it, and then there's people who are doing this because they still love it, and they need it in their lives, and they want to be connected to people. Um, I'm that guy. I'm not making millions of dollars doing this. Um, I'm not even on television right now, not really. Um, but I'm wrestling virtually every single weekend, if not several times a month, um, because I love being in front of the people. I love creating this for them. Um, and uh, I'm just enjoying this on a whole new level all over again. And I'm excited to see where it takes me. Um, recently working with New Japan Pro Wrestling, 
and uh, MLW is coming up soon. There's a bunch of really fun indie shows that are going to be coming up. They're all going to be on the Fight app. I've got all that stuff plugged into my social media at Real Killer Cross on Instagram and Twitter. I also have KillerCross.com. That has everything from merchandise to Linktree to everything. Everything you could possibly want to know and find out about the character and where I'll be and what I'm doing, you can find it there. But I'm just really thoroughly enjoying this, man. So that's just kind of where I'm at. Whatever's next, uh, just play it by ear and take it day by day. Awesome. What about WB return, AEW, open to anything? Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm open to working with I'm open to working with anybody in the event that I'm genuinely interested in bringing something that I know people will enjoy to life. Like a there's a story that leaked recently about uh, me being in conversations with Tony Khan and AEW. Like some some conversations are meant to be private, and I like the guy. I'm not gonna go out there and you know what I mean, discuss what was said. But there's a lot of people that, upon getting that phone call, would just take his money. And you know maybe they're in a position where like they absolutely have to. Um, I'm not gonna do that to him. I have too much respect for him and the place and my friends that work there to just take the money and come in and do something that I am absolutely certain in that conversation is less than what I'm actually capable of doing for him and with everybody else. I'd rather be upfront than honest and just say I think that this idea or this concept would be better suited for somebody else. Um, I know what I can do and uh, I'm not interested in doing anything less than my best work. And it's like I told you, I'm, I'm not in this to do this to set myself up for retirement. It's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I love it. So um, I want to be engaged and really care and be able to feel and know that when people see that I'm going to be involved in doing something, that it's going to be, you know, my best work. So I don't want to be pigeonholed by anything. So I'd definitely be interested and open to working there, but in the right setting under the right circumstances. One final question. Does Charlotte like the shaved head or like the, the longer hair you're growing? What, what, what's better for uh, Scarlett? Scarlett, what do you like better, my hair or a shaved head? Right now, she says hair. <laughs> I guess if you're getting those movie roles, you know, you got you to gotta keep that hair, I guess. But Cross, uh, thank you so much uh, for all time. Really appreciate it. And I hope to see the return of Jesse the Body as well. <laughs> thank you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>